0: It is good to be with you this morning. It's good to celebrate and worship the Lord today. Here at Covenant, we are living the liturgical year. So now we are in the season of Christmas. This is the first Sunday of Christmas. The lectionary text today continues in the Gospel of Luke. It's uh, Luke chapter 2, 40, starting with verse 41. If you want to follow in your pew Bible, that's on page 833, page 833 of the Pew Bible. Jesus has grown up in our text and he's now 12 years old. So hear the word of the Lord to us. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, "'Child, why have you treated us like that, Like this? "'Look, your father and I have been searching for you "'in great anxiety.' "'He said to them, why were you searching for me? "'Did you not know that I must be in my father's house?' "'But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, for you are our strength, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. When our son Peter was a young child, he was great at just wandering off. He wasn't trying to escape us or alarm us. Peter just liked to take in the world and off he'd go. And he could be so quiet, so imperceptible. It was especially challenging for us as parents when we went out shopping. If we turned our heads even for a few seconds to look for something, or take care of our other two children, Peter could be gone in a flash, uh, just disappear. One of the most memorable times was at a mall in Ann Arbor, Michigan where we lived. We were in the women's clothing section of a department store and suddenly uh, no Peter. I raced to the entrance of the store. We were pretty sure he hadn't gotten out into the mall walkways. At least we had him trapped in the store. Uh, It took us several frantic minutes to find him. In the clothing area, there was one of those big, round, circular racks with tightly packed clothes uh, draped over the bars. Peter had gone into the middle and was just standing there. Uh, He wasn't defiant toward us. He just wanted to see what it's like in there, so he went in to find out. There he stood, right in the middle, of that big circular rack stood there silent and content while his parents were going a little crazy. Uh, Peter, you can't just go off on your own like that without telling us, you had us worried. We thought we'd lost you. That maybe is a little bit like what happened between Jesus and his parents. He's 12 years old now, he's out with his mom and dad because every year they went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When it was over, they traveled back to Nazareth. His parents assumed Jesus was with other friends and relatives, part of this large traveling caravan of people. But then at the end of the day, when they went to get him, they couldn't find him. Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. When they went back to the city, they found him in the temple. He was sitting there with the teachers of the temple, listening, asking questions. People were amazed at the things Jesus said, astonished at his understanding. And his parents scolded him. Where were you, Jesus? You can't just go running off. We thought you were lost or something worse. We looked for three days. Don't treat us this way. Mary, his mother, was especially anxious. We've been looking all over for you. Jesus responded with calm innocence. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house about my father's business? Well, what can we learn from this? On this first Sunday after Christmas, what might the Spirit want us to gain from this very, very intriguing event in the life of 12-year-old Jesus? I want to suggest that if we ask the question, what child is this? who is this child, that in this intriguing event of Jesus' family going to Jerusalem, heading home, Jesus stays behind. His frantic parents find him in the temple. I want to suggest there are three affirmations about Jesus that answer the question, what child is this? The first affirmation is, God in the flesh is truly among us. God in the flesh, he's truly among us. On the night Jesus was born, an angel brought good news of great joy. A savior is born. He's the Messiah. He's Christ the Lord. It's what we call the incarnation of God in Christ, that the very God of the universe identified with us to the point of becoming flesh himself. God put on humanity. God appeared in a body. Jesus, the eternal word, the second person of the Trinity, who in the beginning was with God and is God, in order to know us firsthand and for us to know him firsthand, in order to be up close and personal, Jesus became flesh. It means God isn't absent from this world. God did not stay isolated and aloof from the creation. God didn't stay distant in the heavens. He's not indifferent to broken humanity. God wasn't content to just send us a book. God didn't just shout from heaven, I love you. He didn't just write in the sky, I love you. Jesus appeared in flesh. Religion emphasizes our working our way up to God. Christianity is God working God's way down to us. We live on a visited planet, is how J.B. Phillips said it. We live on a visited planet, in that stable, in that trough where the cattle feed, The Son of God is packaged in flesh and bones. Christ, who from all eternity was with God and is God, is sleeping on hay in a cattle stall. It's the supreme paradox of the Christian faith that God identified with us to the point of becoming flesh. God who is high and mighty, God whose power and glory became this little bundle of flesh. John Calvin, the father of Presbyterians, said, if you want to discover the secret of life, if you want to discover the meaning of life, you are inevitably driven to the manger where you find a baby sleeping. But not just an infant in a manger. Things grow, don't they? Babies grow. This Messiah, this Jesus, is now 12 years old. He's among us, walking this earth, part of our space and time. He's part of a caravan of pilgrims going to Passover in Jerusalem, scaring his parents when he stays behind in the temple. But he's very much with us. Call him Emmanuel, God with us. He's God in the flesh, not only as a baby in a manger, but as a 12-year-old sitting in the temple in Jerusalem, listening, conversing, amazing the teachers, astonishing his parents. That's the first affirmation that answers the question, what child is this? God in the flesh is truly among us. This child was God in the flesh the night he was born and laid in a manger, and he's still God in the flesh as he sits as a 12-year-old where his parents find him. The second affirmation is this, Jesus knew why he had come into the world. Even as a 12-year-old, he knew what his purpose was. I'd have to say that when I was 12 years old, in the seventh grade, I I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I don't think I thought very much about what my purpose was. There were things important to me. Sports were important, Uh, football, basketball. Keeping my Schwinn bicycle in good shape was important. I was a Boy Scout, so working on merit badges was part of my life. We were a church family, that was important. Though for me, sitting in the sanctuary was less a priority than getting out to youth group where me and my friends could play our guitars and try to impress the girls who were there. When I was a 12-year-old, my world was pretty much uh, wrapped up in me. Life was pretty carefree. Though in that year of my seventh grade, things happened that alerted me to a larger world, the best teacher I've ever had in all my years of education was my seventh grade homeroom teacher, Miss Francis. She made me a reader. She gave me the novel Johnny Tremaine to read about the Revolutionary War. Miss Francis turned me on to books, and it changed my life. And I also became aware of a more sober world. I was sitting in her class when the voice of Mr. Harvey, the principal, came over the intercom, saying President President Kennedy had been killed in Dallas. And Miss Francis started to cry. 12 years old, seventh grade, good times, growing up times. But I certainly couldn't have said exactly who I was or what I wanted to do in life. Jesus, he's 12 years old now. He's out with mom and dad because every year they go to Jerusalem for Passover. They head back to Nazareth. His parents assumed he was with the other caravan of travelers. Can't find him at the end of the day. He stayed behind in Jerusalem, and when they went back to get them, they found him in the temple, sitting there with the temple teachers, listening, asking questions. People amazed at the things Jesus said, amazed at his understanding. And his parents scolded him, where were you? You had us worried, don't treat us this way. And Mary, especially anxious, we looked all over for you. And Jesus responds calmly, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house about my father's business? Jesus knows why he's come into the world Even as a 12-year-old, he knows what his purpose is. We sometimes forget or don't emphasize enough that Jesus viewed his own life purpose for being here, that it was to do the will of his heavenly Father. Yes, Jesus went around healing and forgiving and loving. Yes, Jesus went around performing miracles, confronting evil and injustice. Yes, Jesus came to die on a cross for us. Yes, Jesus came to rise from the dead and give us eternal life now and forever. But beyond all that, underlying all that, the reason he did all of that was to obey and do the will of his heavenly Father. I have life in myself to give you, he said, because the Father has life in himself and I come from the Father. I I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. The work I'm doing is the very work that the Father has given me to finish. I come in my Father's name. Jesus' entire ministry is shaped by his consciousness that God is his Father. He's eternally begotten of the Father, and he knows that he's the Son, and he addressed his Father in very intimate terms. My Father, he said, my Father. And God the Father was intimate back to the Son. At his baptism, Jesus followed John the Baptist into the Jordan River. And at that moment, heaven opened, and a voice said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And then when Jesus was nearing the end of his earthly ministry, starting on the journey that would take him to the cross, he took Peter, James, and John with him up on a mountain. And from a bright cloud, a voice came, this is my son, my beloved, with him I'm well pleased. Jesus, in all he has said and done, has been obedient to the Father. He kept in perfect union with the Father. Even the greatest of the kings of Israel had been disappointments. Saul was a disappointment. David was a disappointment at times. Solomon and all the rest. And there was a profound hope that one day God would bring into the world the Messiah, a ruler worthy to inherit David's throne. And now 12-year-old Jesus, when his frantic parents find him in the temple says, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business in my father's house? Way back before the beginning of time, as God's eternal plan, it was decided the son would take human flesh upon himself. And Christ was willing to do it. He was obedient to the will of the father. Perhaps, never more poignantly than on the night he was betrayed. In the garden of Gethsemane, he knew what was ahead. He was distressed, he was tormented. He fell on his face, prayed with complete honesty, Father, if at all possible, remove me from what's ahead. But then he says, not my will be done, Father, your will be done. That's the second affirmation that answers the question, what child is this? Jesus knew why he was in the world. Even as a 12-year-old, he knew what his purpose was. He was in the world to do the will of the Father. Though he did include us in what he was doing for, he said, I have come down from the, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me And this, indeed, is the will of the Father, that all who believe in me may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. This Jesus, this Messiah will raise us up on the last day. Which really leads into our third affirmation. This child satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts. This child satisfies the deepest yearnings that stir within us. Some of us come here this morning who've had a fantastic Christmas. The plans you made worked out. The hosting you did worked out. The gifts you gave were perfect. The gifts you received were perfect. The gatherings around the table were good. Family and friends all got along. And you're so glad to come to church this morning to just top off your Christmas with joyful worship. For others of us, Christmas was fraught with tension, financial pressures, job worries, health worries, loneliness, distant from those you love and those who love you. The strain of the holidays revealed family dynamics that caused headache and heartache. Or maybe it just feels like the world is stacked against you right now. I heard the Leonard Cohen song this week, Everybody Knows. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the boat is leaking. Everybody got this broken feeling. Everybody knows that's how it goes. Everybody knows. And really, whether you've had a great Christmas or a not so great Christmas, we all have deep longings of the heart. We all yearn for purpose and meaning in our lives. We all need a savior. And this 12-year-old Christ child is the answer. Our scripture says Jesus went back to Nazareth with his parents and he increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. He fulfilled the purpose for which he had come into the world, and people found that he satisfied the deepest longings of the heart. The prophets of Israel kept hoping for a time when God would put things right. A new day is coming, the prophets said, in which crooked things would be made straight, rough places made smooth, the foolish made uh, humble, the humble made wise. They dreamed of a time when the flowers of the desert would bloom, the mountains would flow with wine, weeping would cease, people could go to sleep without weapons on their laps. A time when we would trust in God, walk with God, delight in God. A time when sins hold on us would be broken. And how would that come about? By the coming of a great uh, political hero, by the advent of a great military, genius to kick the Romans out of Judea? No, as God's plan unfolded, as early as the seventh century BC through the prophet Isaiah, there were hints of who this Messiah would be. A Messiah who will take up our pain, who will take up our suffering. The judgment we deserve will be laid on him After he suffers, he'll see the light of life. He'll be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That's who the promised Messiah will be. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He's now in the temple as a 12-year-old, amazing the people, astonishing his parents. He grew in wisdom and in divine and human favor. In his public ministry, he proclaimed the reign of God, preached good news to the poor, taught by word and deed, blessed the children, healed the sick, bound up the brokenhearted, ate without outcasts, forgave sinners, called all to repent and believe. He was crucified, suffered the depths of human pain. God raised him from the dead, delivering us from death to eternal life. And when Jesus ascended, he poured out on us the Holy Spirit. This child, this Jesus satisfies the deepest longings of the heart, the deepest yearnings that stir within us. Richard Selzer was a a renowned surgeon, spent most of his career at Yale Medical School. Dr. Richard Selzer tells about going on his rounds one night in the hospital, he came to a room and he stopped outside in the hallway, stood there quietly. He looked into where a young woman laid in her bed, he, a woman he had operated on a few hours before. He removed a, a tumor from her cheek. The difficult thing was that to get the tumor, he had to sever major nerves along this woman's cheek to get, the ner- uh, to get the tumor. He cut a nerve that controlled the muscles of her mouth. So now as he stood there watching from the door, her mouth was palsy-like. Her mouth was crooked and clownish. No control over the muscles of her mouth, and it would always be that way. Though as Richard Selzer watched in silence from the hallway, he saw another person in the room. A young man was there. As Dr. Selzer watched, he saw how they gazed at each other, touched each other generously, held each other. Then he heard the woman say, will my mouth always be like this? Through her crooked lips, will my mouth always be like this? Yes, he said it will. The nerve's been cut. But I like it, he said. I I like it. It's kind of cute. And all at once, said Dr. Selzer, I knew who the man was, for he bent over to kiss her. Bent over to kiss her crooked mouth. And I could see how he twisted his own lips to match hers twisted his own mouth to accommodate hers, to show her their kiss still worked. Bent over, twisted his mouth to match hers, to show her their kiss still worked. You know what Christmas is all about? God, who's high and holy, bent over to love you. God accommodated himself to your humanity, bent over to love you by becoming flesh himself. That little baby in the manger is God's kiss. That 12-year-old in the temple who grew in divine and human favor, who knows he's in the world to do the will of the Father, that child is the loving kiss of God. The man on the cross who loved us and gave himself for us, he's God's kiss. Jesus, the resurrected one in whose life we find our life, he's the loving kiss of God. God could have left us alone defend for ourselves, God could have left us in our brokenness, but Jesus bent over, twisted his own life to match your life. You're not alone. You're visited, you're loved. Trust this child as your savior, worship him as your Lord. Let us praise him and thank him now and forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.